Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday, August the 17th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is my good friend and co-host, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing really well, and my voice is sounding a lot better, although mm. it, it could go bad any moment, but at this time, I'm pretty well over the cough and such. And so we've got this wonderful email we received from Robin Schumacher, and it begins with this statement about an atheist, W. H. Auden, and this atheist became a Christian. So his atheist friends asked him why he left atheism for Christianity. And here was his answer. I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. Wow. We have to let that sink in for a moment. Why is that so opposite to what we normally hear in churches? Well, in most any church today, you're, you're told the exact opposite. At the very least, the message given is that Christ will remove the hardships that you have in life. And in some cases, the line is delivered that Jesus wants you to be rich and in perfect health from top to bottom. It sounds pretty dreamy, doesn't it? Yes, because you've got Bible verses like Christ did say, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what did John write in his third letter, chapter 1, verse 2? Beloved, hmm. I pray that in all aspects you may prosper and be in good health. Yes. And a lot of times they did. But what was Jesus really talking about? What relief was he mentioning not relief from all the things in the world. Remember, he did not come to make the world different. What was the relief? Well, he was talking about relief from the law, plus all the extra weight that the religious leaders had added, plus freedom from sin and its consequences. And maybe John's words reflect a common greeting of today for things going well, which is about the Greek term for prosper, literally means. Yes. And so we need to be careful that Jesus makes it clear that he is not the king of this world in the sense of a secular king, but he is king of all creation, and he has come to give us a great life that will only be fulfilled when we get to heaven. So, you, you know, also, 
Then Jesus still pilot, my kingdom is not of this world. Excellent. Excellent verse to remember. So let's return to this atheist Auden statement about believing in Jesus because he is not a dreamboat. Well, what's that really about? Well, he gives a, a little clarity with, with the following statement. He is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could have made him in my own image. What it simply means, God is, Jesus is God, and you can't make him up. Yes, this is really, really important to understand that when he reads the scripture, and we've talked about this quite a bit, is the Bible is really nonsense. It says a lot of things that don't make sense to the world, like a, a carpenter dying on a piece of wood gets your sins forgiven. Boy, people cannot really believe that. In, in fact, there was a time when supposedly important people asserted that Jesus was an invention of the ancient world. Uh, mm. In a book called The Jesus Mysteries, authors Timothy Frakey and Peter Gandy, what did they write? Well, when you consider the story of Onesimus, Dionysus, Adonis, Addis, and Mithadis, and other pagan mystery fables as God, yet you, you come across essentially the same story in the Jewish context and believe in the biography of a carpenter from Bethlehem? Yes, he's saying, you take a look at all of these other Olympic gods that are fables, and how can we understand, therefore, the Bible? Because it says much the same as these Olympic gods are saying. And is Christianity just a copycat? Um, but then Dr. Bruce Metzger makes a statement. He's a 20th century scholar on the subject. And what does he say? Well, it's interesting. He says, today, no competent scholar denies the historicity of Jesus. Now, that's critical. They deny the historicity of all these other fable gods like on Mount Olympus, etc. But nobody denies the historicity of Jesus. Well, what they may deny are the stories in the scripture about who Jesus is, the miracles he did, etc. When uh, I was at Concordia Seminary, they had a walkout because the professors were very, very liberal. And many of the miracles of Jesus, they reinterpreted so you could understand them. I'll just give you one example. When Jesus fed the 5,000 people, they said he didn't feed them from a few pieces of bread and fish, but everybody had brought a lunch along with them under their robes 
to listen to Jesus. And when the little boy gave his food, they all felt embarrassed and they took their food that was hid and distributed it to everybody. And that's how the 5,000 were fed. There was no miracle there at all. It was just people using their own food. And that's really where modern scholars today deny the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and of course the importance of his resurrection. And but, hence the necessity for us to get out there and tell the good news about Jesus and being faithful to the word that he's given to us. It kind of reminds me of this last weekend. I was uh, up in South Dakota for a family reunion of the Rhymeness side of the family. Oh, yeah. We got to go, we got to, go to the church that uh, where it all started and worshiped there. And it was just like we'd never left there before. And it was Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Denmark. What, what was so interesting in their church history is when they left Germany from, from a land called Slovakia, they were told by their German Lutheran pastor that when they got to America, look look up this uh, German Lutheran Senate of Missouri, Ohio, and other states where they, they, they teach the, the gospel as purity in the right administration of the sacraments, and that's our foundation where our family is uh, a pastor had led us towards towards Christ and towards the, the Missouri Synod. Yes, and they had no doubt that Jesus was a real character in history, that he was really God, who became incarnate as a human being, who died on the cross for their sins. Did they have a good long gospel sermon during the worship service? Oh, it was absolutely phenomenal. They did it on on Jesus' prophecy that Jerusalem would, would fall. Yes. And, and uh, he brought out how Jesus' uh, prophecies are true and how years later in 70 AD, uh, Jerusalem fell and he fit, fit the whole thing into uh, Christ's prophecy of coming and dying upon the cross and rising for us for our sins. Just I still remark about it to this day. It's been only since Sunday we heard the sermon. Yes. This is in stark contrast to some people. One of them, his name is Bruno Bauer, died in 1882. And he wrote a series of widely disputed works arguing that Jesus never lived. And his work was picked up by Albert Kultoff, who died in 1906. And he also followed Bauer's extreme skepticism about the historical Jesus. 
and went so far as to claim that Jesus never existed and was not the founder of Christianity. And after Bauer and Kaltoff came a man named James Fraser, and he wrote a book entitled The Golden Bough. And what did he argue for? Well, he argued that theory, theory of widespread worship of dying and rising fertility gods in various places. That's right saying that Christianity was only one of those kinds of fables. But as always happens, when questionable theories meet a brutal gang of facts, their assertions have been thoroughly rejected by modern historical scholarship. And finally, what does the New Testament do? Well, it puts those false claims to rest with its own narrative. You know, the Bible tells us that the people of Jesus' day didn't think he was the same old, same old type of false Greek or Roman gods. Yes. In, in fact, the Apostle Paul writes something that's quoted in Acts chapter 17. What, what does he say? Yeah. May we know what it, this new teaching in which you are proclaiming, where you are bringing up strange things to our ears, and we want you to know these things mean. Yes. This is stated by those who are listening to the Apostle Paul at the Aragopas, and in this Greek town, he's talking about something they've never heard before, about a man who came and actually died on a cross, rose from the dead. And that resurrection from the dead really interested them because that wasn't something that was in any of their fables. And many of them came to faith. As today, you said you visited a congregation whose people believe this, and this is 2,000 years in, in the making. So this is really, really important. There, there is a reader that a lot of people enjoy. His name is C.S. Lewis. He was a literature professor at Oxford and Cambridge, and he became a Christian. And what does he say? Well, it's kind of interesting. He's pretty much the same in, in, in a different way as the atheist. He says, I've been reading poems, romances, vision, literature, legends, and myths all my life. I know that they are all alike. I know none of them is like, like this, and that is the gospel, that there are only two views, either the report. Yeah, yeah either or, this is a reportage by some unknown writer or it is true. And he says, ending, the reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. Well, Jesus. A... Go ahead. And before you get into Jesus, it was something entirely new. 
as as we talk about this, what what comes to mind is faith comes from hearing and hearing the word word of Christ, and the Holy Spirit works through that word that, that that's there. What is missing with all these guys that they're not picking up on this? Right. In fact, what's really important is there is a difference between Judah, uh, I'm sorry, between Jesus and Buddha, Confucius, and Mohammed. And what does the former atheist who became a Christian says? He says, none of the others arouse all sides of my being to cry and crucify, crucify him. Yes. When you read about Buddha, Confucius, or Muhammad, you don't get to the point of saying, well, let's crucify him. But when you read about Jesus, even the former atheist says, all sides of my being cry, crucify him. And what he is doing, he's really quoting the same thing spoken by Aristotle. Now, Aristotle lived hundreds of years before Christ. And he was asked, what would happen if a perfect man was introduced to our society? And what did Aristotle say? He said the man would be killed because of his beauty and goodness, would painfully highlight the imperfections of everyone else. That is really important to understand. And when you take a look at the message of Jesus throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, there's two parts to it. The one is one of repentance, and then the other is the gospel. But in the matter of repentance, one of the greatest speakers of repentance, the prophet, was John the baptizer. How did the unbelieving Jewish Pharisees regard him? Yeah, they didn't uh, really take him to heart. Uh, yeah, I'm reminded of when he was finally put into prison. This, he sent his disciples to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we look for another? Because he always proclaimed Christ was coming and Christ had arrived. Yeah, he even said, Jesus is the one who is to come to take away the sins of the world. Now, when people hear that, boy, that sinlessness on the part of Jesus evoked explicit hatred or silent disgust by those who were around him. And what did he warn himself in Matthew 11, verse 6? Well, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Yes, even Jesus things. knew that he would have offense taken at him. And... He doesn't seem as welcoming as some would have you believe, at least not in the literal sense of the Bible. What, what does Jesus do in various passages? Well, in Matthew 7, for instance, he calls us evil. 
in Luke 14, he says, we're not worthy of him if we don't hate everyone else by comparison. And in Matthew 23, he talks about opposing him. They're headed for hell. So we have a situation here, therefore, that really agrees with Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. What does that say about Jesus? Well, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. And that's why this former atheist-turned-Christian says that our fallen hearts cry out for his crucifixion. Now, that's really an important point he makes. He talks about our fallen hearts. We, we've talked about this quite a bit, that we really have two hearts. What, what did David pray for that God would create within him? Oh, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew, and renew my spirit. Exactly. And so our new heart loves Jesus, but our fallen heart says crucify him because he is so opposed to what we want to believe. And that's yeah. surely happening today in the United States. It reminds me of one time in Bible class, I brought up a topic that, that in the church it seemed like when we confess our sins, everybody was saying it was a lot of gusto. And I, I kind of remarked, well, why so much gusto in, in proclaiming your sins? And a hand rose up from, from a lady in the congregation in the Bible class, and she goes, because we know what's coming next. And I said, what's coming next? That Jesus forgives our sins. Yes so that we can be confident in our liturgy when we talk about ourselves being poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, that God, from before the creation of the world, made a plan for our salvation, that through his Son, our sins would be paid for. So... I got another question, but doesn't this doesn't it look like God's a trauma is an angry God to them outside because the the spirit of God has not entered their heart with this good news of Jesus Christ? Yes, for an unbeliever, the former atheist says, no one would invent a God like this because he's far too traumatizing. There is nothing in the universe more terrifying, more threatening to a person's sense of security and well-being than the holiness of God. What does he mean by that? Well, left to ourselves, none of us would invent uh, the God of the Bible as being the one who's a threat to our sense of security, our primal and most fundamental than any act of nature. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, where there's just the two religions, man's religion 
in, in the religion that God gives to us. And that is what Jesus came to defeat, is that when we look at the law of God and see how holy God is, we can become frightened and in fear of God because we know that he has the right to send us to hell. And that's why the gospel is such good news. And this is why the atheists believed in Jesus, because Jesus is the opposite of what his fallen dreams could conjure up. And the dreams were coming from his old Adam. Instead, what kind of God is he? He's a God who is so contrary to what we want on our own that he has to be real. You know, it's it's uh, it's just the wonderful news that that in spite of who we of our sinful nature, Christ uh, dies for us. It uh, made me think that this last weekend I ran across uh, a Christian who still believed that they had to go to purgatory and make up for their sins. And you you have to reintroduce the gospel to them to remind them how Christ has taken care of everything for them. In other words, when I first read this statement by this former atheist that he believed in Jesus because he fulfilled none of my dreams, we now understand what he meant, that his dreams were those of his old Adam. And those dreams often are encapsulized by his look at the world. He's looking for riches. He's looking for good property, nice car, nice home, good job. And Jesus fulfills none of those in the sense of why he came. So thanks so much, Pastor Reimnitz, for helping us with the God you cannot make up. And that's the God of the Bible. And we'll talk more about him from a law gospel point of view on tomorrow's broadcast. I'm Tom Baker, Wes Reimnitz. God bless you. Tomorrow. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.